Scott Hansen intro audio is not playing as it normally would. The past couple times that I have used it was the 2021 NFL mock draft that I did with my dad and the interview I did with the radio voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon, which are two episodes that you should totally go check out. Um, But today we're sticking with baseball. I had the honor and privilege of sitting down with uh, Yankees beat writer for MLB.com, Brian Hoke, coming to us from Chicago. And we talked all things from his drive to from New York to Dyersville, Iowa for the Field of Dreams game to his daughter Penny and her uh, show Penny's Two Cents. And we even got some insight on the Yankees and their injured list situation with COVID and injuries. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Uh, welcome back to the H2 Sports Podcast. I am your host, Abby Halpin, and today we have a very, very fun and exciting guest and I'm so excited to talk to. We have Brian Hoke here, who's coming to us from Chicago, um, who is the Yankees beat writer for MLB.com. Brian, it's good to see that you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, it's been quite an eventful 24 to 48 hours for sure. I'd love to, so you started your day at, you started your Wednesday at Newark, right? And uh, you were on your way to Dyersville, Iowa, to catch the White Sox and the Yankees in the Field of Dreams game. And you made a decision that kind of—I was like, "Wow, that's a really big, good for you for making that." What was that? What you do? Well, I had two flights canceled. There were big thunderstorms throughout the uh, the Midwest, and so nothing was coming in and out of Chicago. My plan was I was going to fly to Chicago and. Uh, spend the night here and stay in hopefully a nice hotel and get a nice dinner and then drive in the morning. I, White Sox beat reporter and I, Scott Merkin, we're going to carpool to uh, to Dyersville. And it's about three or four hours from here. And uh, I had my first flight was canceled before I even left for the airport. So I, that was on American. I rebooked on uh, United got to the airport, sadly gate for about four hours. And, uh, then about 10 o'clock at night, they just said, it's not it, flights canceled and it's not getting out tonight. And we don't know how to get you to Chicago. They, everything in the morning was booked up too. So I just said, all right, do you have any cars? Cause I'll drive it. I'm doing the math in my head and I'm thinking, all right, it's like 17, 18 hours. Like if I go straight through the night, I'll get there in time for, for first pitch. And I don't know. If it was just your run-of-the-mill baseball game, I'm sure that uh, I might have thought twice about it, but there's something so cool about it's the first game ever played in Iowa. It's at the Field of Dreams movie site. Like, I didn't want to miss that. And so um, I knew that um, if I drove, there was a 100% chance I'd make it. And so uh, I wanted to be there for that game. Was it worth the drive? Because we watched the game from home, and it was such an exciting game. Was it worth that drive? I thought it was. I mean, I've always run. That's been on my bucket list anyway. I, I love Field of Dreams. I, I obviously grew up loving baseball. And so that that movie means a lot to me. And um, it's it's somewhere where I've always wanted to go and never had the opportunity. And the fact that they uh, they carved that ball field into the corn adjacent to the movie site and um, just this big I feel like whether you're a Yankee fan or a White Sox fan or a reporter, if you love baseball, that was the place to be. And I, I, I felt like the, the game was really entertaining. Um, you know, obviously Yankee fans didn't love the finish, but baseball couldn't have asked for a better event. I, I feel like everything just was top notch. It was great. First class all the way, as Brett Gardner said. And um, I, I just um, I, I'm glad I was able to, to be there for that because there was something really special about it. You mentioned that you grew up loving baseball. You grew up a Mets fan, correct? 
Yeah, uh, I got a weird backstory on that. So, like, I started as a Yankee fan. I, I was born in 82, so I, the Yankees were were not very good, but Don Mattingly was my guy. I remember having a poster uh, of Mattingly on my wall, and uh, the strike really hit me hard in 94. I kind of uh, lost interest in baseball for about a year and a half after the strike, and um, in spring training of 96, my dad was a Met fan. My grandpa was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. These are National League guys going all the way back, and they said – they somehow coaxed me into watching the Mets with them. And so I, I was watching the Mets, but at that time, that's the worst time to, to fade away from the Yankees because Derek Jeter's about to, to be rookie of the year. The Yankees are going to win in 96, in 98, 99, 2000. Those are my high school years. And so I was the kid with a Mets hat on uh, that whole time while the Yankees are winning the World Series almost every year. And you, in high school, you launched Mets Online. Did you think that when you launched that website, it would take you to where you are in your career today? <laughs> no, I mean, no, there was no way to, to plan that out. I mean, what I did then was, um, you know, we're talking about the wild, wild west days of the internet. It's dial-up, it's AOL, it's Prodigy. And uh, back then, nobody even knew what the internet really was. It was just this kind of thing. I was 14 years old, obviously living at home and, um there was not even a Mets.com at that time. Yeah, Yankees.com was very primitive. MLB.com was primitive at that time. And um, what I started was basically what today you'd call a blog, even though we didn't know what a blog was back then. And it was just a way for me to write about something that I was passionate about and interested in. And um, I, I think that the fact that there was so little content out there on the internet at that time, especially compared to what it is today with social media and everything, um, it, it helped build a following. And once I started seeing, you know, it goes from a few hundred people read my story to a few thousand and then 10,000 people. And it was kind of like, what is happening here? This is crazy. And um, it, it kind of cemented that this was something, a field that I wanted to be part of. And, uh, you know, the Mets contacted me in 2000 and offered me an unpaid internship at Shea Stadium, which, I mean, as a kid who was buying tickets to games and waiting outside for autographs, I mean, you don't say no to that opportunity. And uh, once I got to see what it was like behind the scenes and go in the clubhouse and to go in the, uh, the manager's office, I was just, this is so cool. I, I felt like I was part of baseball and I just never wanted to let that door close. How long, what, what did you do between your Mets internship and getting the job for the Yankees at MLB.com? Yeah, I, uh, I freelanced for a lot of places. I was hoping to stay with the Mets, but it was just a summer internship. And um, obviously that didn't work out, but um, I, I freelanced for as many places as I could. I, I wrote for free a lot. I continued writing about uh, the Mets on Mets Online until about 2002. And um, by that point, I was in college. I was ready to transition to, uh, you know, some of the larger websites. So I wrote for foxsports.com, uh, you know, Mets Inside Pitch was their official publication. I wrote for them, MLB.com. Um, somehow I, I got into the rotation of freelancers who would come in and, you know, when a B reporter needed a day off or if, you know, the Cincinnati Reds writer didn't make the trip to Shea Stadium. I would pick up the Reds for three days there and, and get to kind of practice being a beat reporter, um, filling in for other guys. And um, so that's basically where I was all the way up until 2006. And in 2006, uh, the Mets beat writer at that time, Marty Noble, I think he had surgery and couldn't go to the winter meetings, uh, which were um, you know, I, I believe they were held in Orlando, but I'd have to look that up. But anyway, 
I got wind at the winter meetings that the Yankee beat was going to be open. And I covered a few Yankee games here and there, just filling in. And so I was familiar with Yankee stadium, even though I'd spent most of my time at, at Shea. And I just made sure that anybody who was any, had any kind of sway in that decision knew, look, I know you think of me as the Mets guy, but Mark Feinstein, who I'd later write a book with, um, was leaving Yankees.com to go to the New York daily news. And I just made sure that everybody knew I know you think of me as a Mets guy, but it's here in New York. I would love to be considered for that Yankees job. And, um, you know, I must have been in the right place at the right time because they called me a few days after Christmas and offered me the job. And I'll be honest, I accepted it without even asking what it paid. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. They could have paid me $1. I was taking that job. It, it really, it was not about the money. I mean, when you get an opportunity to cover the Yankees, you, you say yes. Do you feel any pressure when you're riding for the Yankees? Because they're such a storied franchise and their fans are very into the team. Do you feel any pressure that you won't satisfy all the fans with what you write or do not, or do you just kind of like ignore the noise? I guess there's some of that, but I, I, to the contrary, I feel like there is such massive interest in the Yankees. I mean, they provide, the Yankees always provide stories, right? People are always talking about the Yankees, whether they're winning or losing, uh, people care. And I think that's what you want as a journalist. You wanna be covering stories where people are passionate and people will be clicking and people are gonna be reading. I know that no matter what happens, you know, yesterday at the Field of Dreams game or uh, tonight, the Yankees are in Chicago, people are going to tune in for that game. And even though the Yankees aren't having the season that we expected they were going to have, and, you know, people were talking about this, this is a team that should win the division and should, you know, go into the postseason and go for a world series. They still may be able to do that. They're, they're fighting here, but I don't think they're going to win the division. I, I just feel like there are so many twists and turns with any Yankee season and drama with it, that that's where you want to be. You want to be covering those stories where people care and it matters to so many people. You brought up uh, Mark Feinstein earlier, who you wrote uh, Mission 27 with, mm -hmm. I believe, out of Mission 27, The Baby Bombers, and your new book, The Bronx Zoo, which I love all three. I've read them all. They're great. Thank you. Which was the hardest to write, and which one was the easiest to write? Hmm. Um, I, I feel like Bronx Zoom was probably my hardest because the subject matter was heavier. Uh, you know, Mission 27 and Baby Mom Baby Mommers is, uh, you know, basically a transition from Derek Jeter to Aaron Judge. And it, it focuses mostly on that 2017 season where it was, the Yankees were the little engine that could. Where You don't really see that. Usually the Yankees are this team stacked with powerhouse stars. And that year you had all the kids coming up and it was fun. It was fresh. It was exciting. You had guys like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino and Greg Bird was a big part of that team. And um, it, it was these kids are coming up and this Yankee team, which wasn't expected to do a whole lot, went all the way into the postseason, uh, took the ALCS to a seventh game. Come to find out later that maybe everything wasn't above board as they were playing the Houston Astros. But that's a whole other story. Um, I, I, that, that book focuses on the transition from Jeter to Judge and, um, you know, telling the story of these young kids who were getting a taste in New York. So that was a really fun one. And Mission 27, I mean, Mark and I lived 2009. So to be able to go back in and peel back the layers of the onion 
and re-interview players from that team. And we talked to so many guys from that team. And it was kind of like going to your high school reunion and like hanging out with people you haven't seen for a long time and just talking to, you know, Jorge Posada and AJ Burnett and, uh, you know, Mark Teixeira and Joe Girardi was at MLB Network by then. He had already left the Yankees and, um, you know, just kind of re-interviewing them about, hey, what do you remember about that? Alex Rodriguez was retired for a few years and got to ride in his limousine around Manhattan and, and talk to him. And um, it's just a crazy experience to to do all that. So I, I feel like Mission 27 was a lot of fun. Bronx Zoom um, was fun as well to write and research, but it was more challenging, I think, because of of COVID. And, uh, you know, by definition, I can't be in a limousine with uh, the players or talking to them in person even uh, to do that book. So it was a lot of um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages, a lot of Zooms, uh, just like you and I are chatting right now. And um, so that was definitely more challenging, I think, to to kind of tell the story just based on what was going on in the world in 2020 and, and that crazy year that we all experienced together. Did the pandemic change the way you value or you value your job? Did you feel like you ever took advantage of anything before the pandemic that you look at it now and you're like, I will never take that for granted again? Yeah, fans being in the stands. Uh, it, it makes such a difference. The energy, the... Uh, the passion, the excitement of walking into a Yankee stadium. And yeah, you take for granted, you walk into Yankee stadium, there's going to be 40,000 people there tonight. Um, and when you went, when I, when they restarted summer camp and they actually started playing those games and I was one of the few people who was allowed in the building, they allowed 35 media members in for every game. And we were all spaced out and all wearing masks. And, um, so I'd walk into Yankee Stadium and everything is just closed. You know, the concession stands are closed. The, the gift shops are closed. Everything's collecting dust. It looks like nobody's been in there for a year. And you make that turn and you see the lights are on. And at 7.05, the Yankees are in their pinstripes and they're on the field. And it was kind of like, who are they playing this game for? Are they playing this game for me? And so not having the fans there, um, it really was a completely different experience. I know it was for the players. They talked about having to manufacture their own energy and remember that the games counted and that this is their job and they, they had a game to win. But as an observer, somebody covering the sport, I, I feel like the fans are a huge part of it and we need them there. And now that they're back, I mean, it, it makes it so much better. And the energy, you think the energy is different? Like, do you think they're playing differently or better because the fans are there? Cause they have somebody to, play for? I think so. I, I think that, you know, look, look, these guys all the way back to little league, they're used to, you know, when they play a game, there's going to be people watching them and to, to not have that, they knew that the people were watching at home. And I think it was important. They played at, through that season because it gave so many people who were suffering and really I mean, 2020 was a hard year for everybody. And to have some kind of distraction where, you know, all right, at seven o'clock, the Yankees are going to play tonight and I can watch that game for three hours and try to forget about what all this terrible stuff on the news and what's going on in the world. I think that was an important distraction for so many people. And, um, you know, I, I think that definitely, when the players get out there now, especially now that they're back to full capacity, they had about 10,000 to start the year. Now it's full capacity. I, I feel like it's probably normal for them uh, to go through their day. Once the game starts, they can look around and it probably feels like 2019 in a lot of ways. During last season, during the 60 game season, how often did you get to see your family? If you got to see them at all, <laughs> that was hard. That was hard because we made the decision. Look, there was so much 
kind of uncertainty about what was going on in the world. And, um, you know, we weren't even going to grocery stores at that time. And so um, when baseball restarted and it looked like I was going to be commuting into New York City again every day and walking into Yankee Stadium and being around people, um, you know, I've got two young girls at home. They're now five and three, but they were four and two at the time. And, um, you know, Penny and Maddie, and, you know, it just felt like, I was willing to take that chance for myself, but I was not going to take that chance for them and risk bringing something home. So I wound up uh, actually staying with my brother-in-law and for the entire season, one summer camp started, um, you know, I, from July until the Yankees were done, you know, I'd do the drive by and I would wave and, but it was a hard year. It was hard in a lot of ways to, to not wake up with my kids and see them every morning and get to play with them. That was, uh, that was probably the, the hardest part of 2020 for me. You brought up your two daughters. You brought up Penny and Maddie. And Penny certainly had quite the quarantine. Penny's two cents <laughs> came out on Twitter. I look for. I know I look forward to that all the time. How did that idea blossom? Thank you. Um, yeah, that started with what we're talking about here, where I was separate from them. And, you know, Penny started for the first time really kind of expressing interest in what it is that I do. And, um, you know, for the longest time, she thought I played for the Yankees. Brett Gardner would come on and on the TV and she thought it, that was daddy. You know, like, something about uh, we may look kind of similar up top. But um, so she that when baseball restarted, she was excited for, you know, the first game was going to be in Washington, D.C. And, you know, my wife, Connie, uh, you know, helped her make a little video kind of, you know, her pep talk for the Yankees to go win that game in Washington, which they did. It was a rain shortened game in DC. I remember driving down for that and being there for that. And, um, but yeah, there, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I thought it was a cute video. So I posted it to Twitter, not expecting anything would come of it. I just thought it would help some people smile and um, people really latched onto it. People loved it. And, you know, kind of that, the passion and kind of, you know, just um, innocence of a four-year-old, girl who is excited that the Yankees are going to play a baseball game today. And, you know, the, the public demanded more of it. And um, so we, we made a few more and Connie, Connie is the brains behind that operation. I, I have, uh, I'm just a guy who hits post, but it's really cool to see how many people have connected to it. I mean, wrote a wear, put her on a t-shirt, which was uh, just incredible. The fact that people are wearing a t-shirt with my daughter's face on it. It's just, I mean, it's, it's surreal, but you know what? Considering everything that's happened since March of 2020, I guess that's normal. I, I guess it's kind of, you know, par for the course because nobody could have ever predicted what the world would have looked like over the last 18 months or so. And you also have Maddie. Has she started to express interest? Because she made a cameo in the latest Penny Two Cents. <laughs> I caught that the other day. Does she have an interest in doing that? A little bit. Uh, she's a little more shy and less, a little less outgoing than uh then Penny, um, but she's uh, she's getting her sea legs under her. She loves to hit. That's what she loves. She she doesn't want to watch the game so much. She wants to play. So we might have a future ball play on our hands there. And she's strong. She is. Yeah. I don't know where that that strength comes from. That must come from her mom's side of the family because it doesn't come from me. But she um, for a three year old, she hits the ball pretty well. Another thing that made the last year and a half more enjoyable for me, at least, was Hokey Happy Hour that you do on your Instagram story. It's something my friend Riley and I, we text about it all the time. I see, like, I'll submit a question. Oh my God, I'll, really? <laughs> I'll see you answer it. And I like, I forget. It's so exciting. How do you choose which questions you answer on that? Cause you probably, get, I assume you get a lot. 
I, I do. Yeah, thank you, first of all. But um, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, there's a good amount of questions and I try to get through them as much as I can. And, you know, that that was a product of the pandemic where, you know, we were waiting for baseball to come back and I had time to kill. You know, we were at home and quarantining and, um, you know, I wanted to talk baseball and have an outlet to do that. And clearly there were people willing to ask questions. And so um, I wanted to get to as many as I could. Sometimes when we I mean, it's called a happy hour. So when I can, I'll, I'll drink a beer or something. And, and that helps it go a little, helps loosen up the, uh, the, the atmosphere a little bit. I, I feel like I've tried to do it at the ballpark and it's not quite the same. It's more fun when we can order in some food and, you know, just hang out and talk baseball. But I try to answer as many as I can. And, um, you know, some of them are kind of, you know, a lot of people will ask the same question in different words. And so, um, you know, if somebody asks a question about Brett Gardner, say, um, I'm not going to answer 25 Brett Gardner questions, but um, I, I feel like I try to get to as many topics as I can um, in the course of that hour or two hours. I mean, I think sometimes it goes two and a half. It's just, uh, you know, if we're, we get in that groove and we're feeling it, then we'll keep going. You mentioned you order in. What's your favorite thing you've ordered? I saw you've ordered, like, you've gotten Jenny's ice cream, some very interesting flavors from Jenny's. You've ordered some pl- some food from places in Florida. What's been your favorite thing that you've ordered in for that? Uh, probably the first time we did it. It was the best one because we hadn't been to restaurants. We weren't doing any of that. We were cooking most of our meals at home. And um, when we first ventured into, like, the DoorDash world of it and ordered in Ocean Prime, which was just like, I think we got like steak and seafood and stuff. And it was like a real legit dinner. And I think, you know, we even put it on like uh, our, our silverware and you brought out the real plates instead of the styrofoam. Uh, that was cool, you know, to, to just be in the apartment eating like steak and lobster and talking baseball <laughs> on the internet. I mean, it was ridiculous, but it was fun. And, you know, and they, I, I'm glad that people, uh, hopefully it put a smile on some people's faces. You get a lot of Yankees questions, and I'm going to hit you with a couple more right now. When I wrote these, before you even agreed to be on here, I wrote these questions. Like, I thought about it. I was like, maybe I'll just give it a go, and I wrote so many. And originally, one of my questions was, how panicked are you about the Yankees right now? And this was back in June when they were not doing the best. Yeah. Now, um, I can scratch that question. (laughs) And what do you think the playoff potential is? should they make it of this team is? You know, I I always think about something Derek Jeter used to say, which is that the best teams make it to the postseason, but the hottest team wins. And you need to catch that hot streak and be there at the right time. And whether you're a a division winner, which it doesn't look like the Yankees are going to be, or if you get in in the wild card, that's the important thing is get in, play those playoff games, because once you're there, the team that wins 11 games is going to be the world series champion. And so uh, for the Yankees, it's about getting healthy, being complete at the right time. And hopefully they get through September and get some of these guys back that they're waiting on. I think they're going to get Garrett Cole back and Jordan Montgomery. Severino has had a setback, so we're not sure exactly what's happening there, but you're going to have Cole and Montgomery back soon. And you start getting some of these guys back from the COVID IL. Anthony Rizzo will be back at some point. Uh, he was such a spark for the, uh, that brief time that he was uh, in the lineup. If they get through September and they have all their big guys there, then there's no reason they can't play like the team we expected them to be. They didn't do it over the course of 162 because they got off to such a, a tough start. But if they're hot going in, then I still like their chances as much as anybody. Um, you know, if they get that team on paper that we were all thinking they were going to be in this uh, this season. 
You mentioned Anthony Rizzo. Did that, I kind of saw the Joey Gallo trade coming a little bit. Did that Rizzo trade catch you off guard? I didn't see it coming. I didn't think they were going to trade for first baseman. I thought that they were going to wait on Luke Voigt coming back because they had done that the entire year. But, you know, as Voigt said, he understood it because he hadn't been there all year. And so he understood why the Yankees felt like they needed to make that trade. And so uh, I, I feel like in two ways, that was really great for the Yankees to make that move because first of all, it gives you a, a solid first baseman. A, I, I think an upgrade at first base down the stretch and he kept him away from Boston because, you know, that was what we were hearing was that Rizzo was going to go to Boston. It kind of reminded me of there's a part in mission 27 where Mark Teixeira looks like he's going to go to Boston and like, it's a done deal. It's, it's going to happen. And for some reason it falls through at the last minute, Red Sox aren't willing to pay what they thought they were, what Teixeira thought they were going to pay. And suddenly, you know, Hal Steinbrenner has the decision to make and, they found eight years and 180 million in the in the Steinbrenner family couch cushions to, to sign Mark Teixeira, and that helped them get that World Series championship. And I feel like Rizzo is that same kind of move where maybe that wasn't their initial plan, but it fell into their lap. And when it did, when they had that opportunity to get Rizzo from the Cubs, you have to make that move. You mentioned we have a they have a ton of guys on the IL. It's like COVID injuries. It's given me flashbacks to a couple seasons ago when it felt like the entire team was there. What ha uh Gio Rochella uh suffered a setback, I believe, a couple of days ago. He was supposed to be back Wednesday. Is there will he is there a timetable for how long he'll until he'll be back? I, I think this homestand you could see him. Um, yeah, I, it won't be in Chicago, but he had to get some kind of PRP injection. And so um, you know, they're, they're going to try and speed that up and get him back on the field, but yeah, it was a setback. They don't think it's going to be as long as the first one. So I, I think that you could see him in about a week. Um, I, I would look for it on this homestand at some point. And he's such a big part of that team too. I mean, he has been, you know, wire to wire, one of their most consistent players. And when he's not in the lineup at third base, you definitely notice it. And you mentioned, uh, Cole and Montgomery. Will we see them in this homestand as well? I think you will. They were both supposed to throw a bullpen yesterday during the off day in Chicago. And so uh, I think that, you know, they've got that double header coming up against Boston. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a double header coming up this week. They got a makeup game Monday. I think that they're going to need that pitching to come in. And I think that, look, I, I think that it's pretty easy to see where they would slide in because they've really been going on three starting pitchers and uh, you can't keep giving the ball to guys like Andrew Haney. And uh, you know, if you can slot in Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery, you want to do that as fast as possible. You mentioned Haney, the pitching rotations kind of been a roller coaster this season. Who has been the biggest surprise or biggest letdown? Um, I'll go surprised. I don't know if I should be surprised, but Nestor Cortez has been amazing. And he's just kind of this jack of all trades. And, you know, this is a guy that, um, you know, resurfaced in spring training and he had been with the Yankees before, but I, I don't think that I saw him playing so much of a valuable part on this team. And he's just been their swingman. man. Whatever they need from him, you need him to, to go short out of the bullpen, give you some length. Uh, you know, he can spot start. Uh, I think they were 4-0 in his first four starts, and then they lost the, the fifth one. But, um, I mean, he has just been a guy that um, in a season like this where you've taken so many body blows and taken so many hits and lost so many guys to have – a Cortez who's just kind of whatever you need, I'm willing to do it. Um, you need, you need 
a guy like that. And they could probably use two or three more of him, to be honest with you. Yeah, do they definitely could. Do you think if everybody's healthy, if they make it to the postseason, will he be a part of that five-man rotation? I, I think they would probably go a shorter rotation in the postseason. You know, they, they could probably go four or three. So I, I would think for him, um, you know, Cole is going to start in the postseason. Montgomery is still going to start. Who knows? You could have Kluber back by then. You could have Corey Kluber back for the postseason. You could have Severino back, depending on what's going on with the situation. Domingo Herman could be in that mix. So I, I would think Cortez is probably a bullpen guy there. But, uh, you know, hey, the way things have gone, I, I wouldn't rule anything out. Do you have an update on Severino? Because he was scratched from his AAA start last night. Do you have any update on what's going on there? Yeah, it's kind of hazy right now. They're going to send him to New York and, and get some more tests and see what's going on there. But this is now two kind of setbacks for him. And, you know, the, the groin strain was pretty significant. And this one, I mean, I, I, I wonder uh, what's going on there. You know, he said he didn't feel right and so it's probably better that he just cut it off and didn't go out to the mound to hurt himself. So maybe if it's something not significant, you just take a day or two and cool off and then try it again. Uh, that could be good. Probably better than going out to the mound and blowing out uh, for Scranton. So, you know, the, the Scranton manager, Doug Davis, said he doesn't think it's anything too significant, but uh, you'll wait for the medical opinion on that. I feel like you can never tell if somebody says it's nothing, not a big deal. Players on this team, it's never not a big deal. I'll tell you what I learned very early in my Yankee career um, injuries. You cannot underwrite them because I, I feel like, you know, they always think it's not a big deal. And then it becomes a big deal. You know, I, I think back to early in uh, Aaron judge's career where he was hit on the wrist, I believe. And at that time they said, he'll be back in three and a half weeks. And that was not fair to Aaron at all because he had a broken wrist. He's not going to be back in three and a half weeks. And then when it became uh, seven or eight weeks to come back and everybody was kind of, hey, they said you were going to be back in three and a half. What's taking so long? Well, he had a broken wrist. It, they should have just said seven or eight. But I feel like that's a Yankee thing where they try to underplay the injury. And then it, it always winds up taking what you thought it was going to take or longer anyway. So, um, you know, in a situation like thinking about Clint Frazier this year where he – you know, they, they kind of made it sound like it was going to be a day-to-day -day thing and it was not very serious at all. And he's missed most of the year now. So, um, yeah, you can never kind of, I, I think that it's never the wrong thing to overreact to an injury. I'd rather overreact than underreact. Agreed. Do you, so you cover the Yankees a lot. Most of your time is spent covering the Yankees. Do you have time to watch any other sports? Are you a fan of any other sports teams? I love all sport, you know, I, I, Rangers and Jets, ugh, the Jets and uh, Knicks, I'll watch the Knicks. But yeah, I mean, so much of my attention is baseball, baseball, baseball. I mean, you know, from the first day of spring training till the last day where they're done, my literally my calendar is built around the Yankee schedule. And that determines where I am and what I'm doing on every single day. And so, um, you know, it's nice to, to get a break here and there, but I, baseball season is a grind. And I, I think that to do this job and to do it right, you really have to love baseball and it, you can't kind of be on the fence and you got to be all in on baseball. And I certainly have been since I was eight years old. I mean, uh, this is all I ever wanted to do and I'm very lucky to get to do it. What was a piece of advice that was given to you as you were trying to get into this career? And like, would you give that advice to any other people aspiring to be sports journalists? Hmm. I, I think that, um, 
so much of this is having a positive attitude. And I feel like there's a lot of people in this industry who just like to complain, who like to, oh, this is hard or this is dumb or I don't want to do this. And look, I've certainly been guilty of thinking those things too, but that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't get you further. And so, look, there are always things that you don't want to go cover, you know, but you do the the bake sale or like the community board meeting or whatever, if you're at a newspaper, because you want to get to the bigger and better stories that you are excited about. And I feel like um, so much of it is having a positive attitude and being just willing to say, okay, I'll do it. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this road trip that I just took this week. It would have been so easy for me to just say, my flight's canceled. I'm not going to make it to Iowa. And I don't think anybody would blame me for that. They would have just said it happens. But um, I, I think that going the extra mile, you know, pun not intended, uh, to, to just make sure that you do your job and do it well and, and show up, um, I, I feel like that's an important part. And that's what I would advise, you know, college students and high school kids who ask me, how do I get in a career like that? I think just be open, be positive, be be the person who will say yes. So many people are going to say no about so many different things. Just be the person who will say yes. I think that's going to help take you a lot further than uh, than if you just complain about everything. And on your drive to uh, Dyersville, fans uh, followed you across or halfway across the country on social media. Where can <laughs> listeners find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I'm even on TikTok now. I'm getting my feet wet in TikTok. I'm right. trying to trying to see what that's all about and hang out with the kids. And so, yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Brian Hoke, B-R-Y-N-H-O-C-H. And obviously you can read my stories on yankees.com, MLB.com. And I've got a website that's uh, brian-hoke.com. Brian, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I'm sure you're so tired. Thank you so so much for joining me. Coffee. Coffee coffee helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet a lot of caffeine. Thank you so much for joining me. Got a game at 2 o'clock. Enjoy that game. And thank you so, so much. Thank you, Abby. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Sitting down with Brian was an absolute dream come true. I've been listening to him and reading his work for so long, and it was so great to get to sit down and actually talk to him. He was so nice. Um, When you click off of this podcast, please make sure to go give uh, our podcast a follow on Instagram and Twitter. We are at H2SportsPodcast. Um, I am at Abby M. Helpin on Instagram and Twitter, and my dad, who is usually my co-host, is at jhelpin37 on Instagram and Twitter, so please make sure to give all those social medias a follow, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I will see you next time.